Our Heavenly Father, help us this morning to see in your word what you have for us. Amen. Well, this week we've been thinking about the teaching of Jesus. We've uh, thought about heart attitudes. We thought about his authority. Yesterday we thought about heaven and hell and something of the glory of the Lord Jesus. And now we're coming to a very well-known story. And as with the Sermon on the Mount, some think that if you try to live like this story, you're a Christian no matter whether you're religious or you go to church or whatever. But as with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not showing us how to become a Christian. He's showing us um, how to, what the life and attitude of a Christian ought to be. Now, our Lord Jesus told this story of the, what we call the Good Samaritan because an expert in the law, a lawyer, asked him what he had to do to inherit eternal life. And he asked in order to test Jesus, not because he wanted to know the answer. He was trying Jesus out. It was a similar question the Jewish leaders asked Jesus on a different occasion in his last week in Jerusalem. On this occasion, Jesus invites the lawyer to answer his own question. And sure enough, he knows the answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. There was nothing difficult about this answer. If you knew the law, it was there in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. It was in fact a summation of the Ten Commandments and all the other laws. Although in Jesus' day, the last part, love your neighbor as yourself, was understood as, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But the lawyer had to justify his question since he knew the answer himself. And so he says, well, who do you say my neighbor is then? And he gets not a definition, but a story, typically a story from ordinary life. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a rocky, often narrow, twisty road, uh, dropping over 3,000 feet in just 20 miles. It was known to be dangerous. Merchants often went in convoy. Incidentally, the road was uh, reported as still dangerous in the 19th century. <laughs> Even in the, in the 1930s, it was not recommended that you travel it at night. I won't relate the story in detail, but uh, we know it. A man traveling down the, uh, the road is seriously set upon, robbed, badly beaten, and left half dead. He was very seriously injured, probably unconscious. It could have been assumed that the two religious men going the same way, a priest and a Levite, would be able and willing to help. But uh, they pass him by on the other side. But someone does help him. He gives first aid, gets him up on his own donkey, and gets him to an inn. 
The injured man is destitute, so his rescuer pays out money enough that will cover his food and board for the next two weeks. He promises more later if necessary. And as he finishes the story, Jesus doesn't say, well, there's my definition. He says, uh, well, first of all, he makes the lawyer acknowledge the true neighborly action of the rescuer and then says to him, you go and do the same. What makes this story extraordinary? Why would it have been uh, seen as surprising and unexpected in the day of Jesus? Well, there's the obvious, and that's the compassion and generosity of the rescuer. He could well have been in danger himself. People didn't hang about on that notoriously dangerous road. If he stopped to help, the robbers might come back and attack him. For all he knew, the man lying here might be a decoy. He might be one of the robbers and they want him to stop so that he could be attacked. He might have been in danger, but he had to put himself out. Obviously, it was inconvenient. It was going to delay him. This helping this man was going to take time and effort would interfere with his plan for the day. He might even ask himself, he looks in a really bad way. Supposing he's dead, what will I do then? <laughs> and he was going to be out of pocket. It was going to cost him something. Wine and oil would be needed to dress the wounds. I think a selfish man would have thought of these things almost by instinct in a few moments. Clearly, in caring for this stranger in need, the rescuer shows himself to be a kind and generous man, the opposite of the two religious people. But the real, we all know the real bite of the story is in the identities of the rescuer and the rescued. They were strangers to each other. That's obvious. They weren't friends, near neighbors, or acquaintances. But even more, they were foreigners. The victim was a Jew. His rescuer was a Samaritan. And in the Roman Empire of those days, the Jews were very proud and they looked down on everyone that was not a Jew. And we can imagine the attitude of other people towards them. In fact, these two were traditionally hostile. Although the Samaritans have been called half-Jews, the Jews wouldn't mix with them. And the hostility was not all on one side. Think of the Samaritan village that wouldn't welcome Jesus and his disciples. There was often mutual dislike and mutual hostility. In all likelihood, if the boot had been on the other foot, the Jew would not have helped the Samaritan. And there were the religious differences that ran deep. Samaritans only accepted the five books of Moses. They rejected the history books. They rejected the prophets and the writings. They refused to recognize Jerusalem and had a worship place on Mount Gerizim. They wouldn't even share drinking vessels. Remember uh, the, the woman that spoke to Jesus or Jesus spoke to at the well. When the leaders wanted to insult Jesus, they called him a Samaritan. 
Yet this Samaritan would use his own cloth, wine, olive oil to dress the injuries. He put the Jew on a donkey and walked himself, got him to an inn and paid for his board. Well, our thought for the day, I think, is uh, obvious, isn't it? Luke has not included this story so that we can admire the wisdom of Jesus in answering questions. Rather, this is the attitude God's people are to have to anyone in need. We are to ignore differences of race or nationality, religion, social standing, wealth or poverty. We are to be neighbor to those in need. We are to show compassion. People in need have a claim upon us for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not enough just to be correct in all the details of our faith. Remember, Jesus said to Pharisees who were punctilious in their belief and uh, following tradition, he said, I know you do not have the love of God in you. And uh, we're meant to ask ourselves after this story, is the love of God in me? Do I have compassion for those in need? The situation, of course, determines what help we give. It needs to be appropriate. If a person has a problem with drink or drugs, the help is not simply to hand out money as they ask. As Mike Curtis used to tell us, that perhaps the best way of helping in this situation is to help those who are experienced uh, in giving the kind of help required. But even they are not beyond our compassion or concern. We should give help. The teaching remains. We should give help when need comes to our attention. Some of us may be pretty hard-pressed ourselves. Hard-pressed in circumstances or finances or maybe both. We can't do everything, but we are meant to do what we can. Sometimes it's a matter of unselfishly giving our time and energy. At other times it's a question of what money we can give. And uh, we've been reminded that COVID-19 has brought real cases of hardship, perhaps in our own fellowship. For the future, the neighborhood chaplain's scheme will be valuable in these things. And then, as Christians, we should not forget our persecuted family members overseas who are sometimes in extreme difficulty because of their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this has been made worse, even worse, by the pandemic. So our thought for the day, the words of Jesus to the lawyer, go and do the same. <laughs>